Genesis 18 and 19 because the narratives uh, connect better together. And I said this like two or three weeks in a row, um, but we're going to cover chapter 14 also. Uh, but real quickly, chapter 14, it really fascinating, really fascinating. Uh, verses 18 to 20, it mentions someone by the name of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, right? And there's reference of him in the New Testament as well. In fact, Jesus uh, is referred to as his uh, uh, reference of Melchizedek with Jesus uh, later in scriptures. <clears throat> Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Um, most scholars derive or believe from the readings in 14 verses 18 to 20 that Melchizedek is an actual person, an actual human. Um, you could argue that he's you know, maybe maybe an angel or something, but an actual physical person, an actual historical figure, um, you know, king and priest of Salem, um, which which uh, interestingly says is is the earlier name of Jerusalem. So before Jerusalem, it was called uh, uh, Salem, and he was a king or priest of that. Um, Scholars also believe that this is the pre-incarnate Christ, which is crazy, which is really fascinating if you think about it. Um, uh, Christophany is when Jesus comes in physical form before his actual birth. Um, what that looks like and, and, and how, I, I, I don't know that I can fully explain. Um, but there are a handful of places you have probably read where it says uh, angel of the Lord. Um, some, some places it's just an angel. Some places scholars believe it's actually Jesus who came. Um, Salem means shalom, means peace, king of peace. Uh, some of the things that it says about Melchizedek is that he is without father, mother, without beginning or ending. Hebrews chapter 7, verses to 21. Um, so you see some of the correlations and links. Um, you know, Christ is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Psalms 110, Hebrews 7. All these, all these fascinating connections. If you get a chance, you can read up on it yourself. Um, what's, what's interesting is that Abraham, before he's called Abraham, uh, Abram actually gives a tenth of all his spoils to God by giving it to Melchizedek. Uh, and so what's fascinating here is that before any mention of tithing, you know, uh, in the first handful of chapters in Genesis, um, you know, both uh, Cain and Abel gave offerings to, to the Lord or to God. And also here, before actual teaching or mention or practice, of or any obligation or requirement to tithe, Abraham, out of his own volition, gives a tenth of his wealth and possessions um, to Melchizedek. And so it's just point. The scholars are just pointing out um, that even before the mention of tithing and the teaching of tithing, that it was already being practiced by those who devout and following God. Um, okay. Now I want to get to Genesis chapter eighteen. Okay. Um, 18 and 19, and I'll give you a bit of a summary, and then I'll go over a handful of verses. 
But basically what's going on here is, uh, you guys remember Abraham and Lot separated? Um, finally, after they separated, Abraham actually fulfilled and came into obedience. Uh, prior to that, he was only walking in, in partial obedience, right? Partial obedience. And so, because um, you know, if you remember, God said, leave your home, leave your, leave your family, leave your father's household, and I'll take you to a, a, a you know, place that I'll show you and make you into a great nation. But he doesn't, you know, he, he leaves his home, he leaves his country, but he doesn't fully leave his family. In fact, half of his, you know, his father and everyone goes with him, I think, all the way up to the point of Haran, where he gets comfortable, kind of gets stuck there. Um, and then from there, he's called out again to go out. Um, but even then, he takes Lot with him. Right? You guys remember that? And so it's, it's now, he separates with Lot. That's when God shows up and says, okay, now that you've completely obeyed. I this on the web. Thank you. Now that you've completely obeyed, then God gives him another assurance, another promise. Look up at the stars. Okay. So Abraham and Lot separate. And now Lot is like he's living in, you know, Sodom, Gomorrah. He's living in complete sin and debauchery. Um, and God's going to bring judgment. Uh, this is this is the chapters that we're on. God's going to bring judgment. And let's go to 1722. The men, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like X-rated. I don't even want to read it. There's parts of it. Um, just, just to give you a glimpse of how, like, mess, like, broken this place is, Lot, I, I don't think he realized it. The, the angel of the Lord comes, going to bring judgment, right? They disguise themselves as normal people. So, so Lot and his family, they don't, they're not even aware. Um, the townspeople want to do like basically like sexual acts on these people, not knowing that they're angels of the Lord, you know, ready to bring judgment. Uh, Lot brings them into their home. They, the townspeople come and knock like, you know, you know, we want these guys, you know, and, and Lot's like, no, don't do, you know, don't, don't trust me. Don't do that. And what's, what's, what's insane to me, it's, it's just out of this world. I, I, I have a hard time reading it. I have a hard time processing it. I have a hard time understanding it, but all I can say is like, like sin is sin. Like depravity is depravity. Darkness is darkness. There's no, there's no explanation. Lot, so twisted, so twisted. He says, don't touch these men. Here, take my daughters. They've never been, they've never been with anyone before. And, and I just... I don't understand how in a million years like something like that could happen. I, I don't understand how the mind for for this you know time can 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 be so it's such such in depravity. And so I, I don't think there's an explanation to it. Anyways, the angels come, verse twenty two. The men turned away, went to Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Uh, Abraham is now interceding. He's standing in the gap for the people and so abraham approached him and said will you see, sweep away the righteous with the wicked and he asked the lord you know the angel of the lord what if there are 50 righteous people in the city will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people far be it from you to do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked 
treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And they go back and forth, back and forth. They go to 40, you know, Abraham is negotiating. How about if there's 30? You know, I think Abraham's like, well, I don't know if there's going to be 30, even 40. How about 30, right? And then agrees and, okay, well, now that I got you there, how about, how about 20? And um, he goes all the way down to 20 in verse 32. Then may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10? If there's only 10 upstanding righteous, would you not spare everyone for that? Um, and so the Lord, the Lord, the angel agrees, agrees. What I love about this, what I love about this, you guys, and what you should love about this, God loves a mediator, right? God loves a, a, a in-between, a go-between. Someone, someone in the middle who's willing to stand up and fight for others. God loves that. Um, you'll find even Moses. Moses, uh, poor fella, you know, <laughs> uh, leading a whole nation of people, um, you, know, at the, you know, leading a people and at the same time trying to follow God, right? O obeying and following God and leading a people. Not, not, not easy to do. Um, and, you know, he... At Moses admitted, admittingly, you know, frustrated, um, kind of loses it, loses his cool for the people, uh, you know, calls them abstinent, you know, like he just, he, he loses his relational bandwidth and he, he, in anger, he actually disobeys God. God says, do this for the people, um, you know, they're thirsty for water. <clears throat> God says, speak to the rock. Speak to the rock and water will flow out. This is actually the second time. The second time God is saying, go to the rock. The first time God says, hit the rock. Right? And when Moses hits the rock, water comes out and the people are amazed. Right? Living water. Amazing, right? Whenever there's water flowing or any type of symbolism with water in the scriptures, it's always a good thing. And so the first time... Moses said, God says, hit, it, hit the rock with the stick and water comes out and everyone is refreshed and, and you know, revitalized. Uh, another season, years go by, same thing, um, you know, still wandering. Uh, this time God says, go to the rock and speak to it. Second time, speak to it. Don't, don't hit it. This time, speak to it and water will come out again. Isn't that fascinating? Really, really cool. Uh, Moses, in his frustration, this, in his frustration towards his assignment, in his frustration towards God, hits the rock. Even though God said, speak to the rock. Right? Water comes out. Um, everyone is refreshed and, and vitalized again. It is on this account it is on this account that God says to Moses, you're now disqualified. You're disqualified to go to the promised land. 
I told you to speak to the rock and you hit the rock and you disobeyed. And so the people get refreshed, but Moses is now, uh, um, you know, disciplined. He won't be the one taking Israel into the promised land. What's, what's, what's fascinating, a couple, couple things here you need to know. Um, uh, D. Carson, a uh, great, great uh, theologian, uh, uh, a biblical scholar, you know, the rock represents Jesus, right? The, the rock of our salvation, you know, Christ Jesus, our rock. And so the first time he tells Moses to strike the rock, it's, it's symbolic. It means one day that Christ will be struck. And, and through, through Jesus being struck, living water and life for all will be given, right? Jesus on the cross, struck and crucified. And through that one-time sacrifice, anyone who believes in him, you know, will have new life, forgiveness, everlasting Praise God. So God was making a lesson, an object lesson out of the rock. And what he's basically saying is, you need only to strike the rock once for living waters to flow. You don't strike it twice. Jesus doesn't go to the cross two times. Once is enough. One time struck punishment, you know, ultimate price on the cross, living waters. You know, you don't need to strike it again. You don't, you know, Christ doesn't have to be judged again, crucified again. He's paid for us all, all of us, once and for all, right? And so when, when Moses, you know, strikes it a second time, that's why, that's why that, that happens. But, but what I want to say, the second thing about Moses is, you know, it gets to the point where God's going to bless, sorry, the people want to move into the promised land um, and they, they, they basically are okay to have it without God's presence. And so God basically tells Moses, you know, I'm like, I'm done, you know, like the people, let the people go, let, let them go. I'm not going to go with them. Let them have the promise. Let them have the land. But my presence is not going to go with them. And what I love about this is Moses, Moses is like, no way. You can't do this. Right? The promise and the land means nothing without, without you. And so what Moses does is he starts to, he starts to intercede. He, he starts to say, you know, don't, you know, uh, we don't want the promise if you're not with us, he, he stands in, the, he mediates. He stands in the gap between God and the people. This is the same guy who's like so upset, you know? I mean, if it was me, I would hit that rock like, you know, like a button, right? I mean, how many of us have done that? How many of us in frustration have, have, have lashed out, right? And yet, even after that, Moses is standing in the gap on behalf of the people saying, God, don't do that. These are your people. Um, Abraham, same thing. He's standing in the gap in the middle. God loves when someone is willing to place himself in that gap. And if you think about it, that's, that's the gospel message. 
There may be broken relationships in marriages, right? And those are hard to repair. There may be broken relationships between, you know, daughter and father, son and, you know, uh, uh, parents. You know what I mean? Those are hard to repair. Broken relations between parents and kids, you know, really are hard to repair. Broken relations between married couples who, who want to divorce, really hard to repair. Broken relationships between, um, you know, Japan and Korea. Uh, uh, broken relationships between, uh, um, you know, uh, Palestinians and, and, and Jews, right? I, I mean, you, you just look all over the world, you know, broken relationships between, you know, Russia, China. It, it, it just seems like it's irreconcilable, you know? Like, like I, you know, I feel like World War III has already begun. I feel like there's no turning back. I feel like it's just thin layers of escalation, but, but it's already begun. I, I don't know how, how the world comes out of this. Um, between between uh, landowners and slaves, you know what I mean? This world's apart. Between male and female, oh my gosh. Men are from Mars, women are from Jupiter, is it, is it Venus? Okay, you, you get the point. There's, there's, there's so much, there's such a chasm of difference. And I'm going to wrap up with this this morning. You need to know this. You need to know this. Maybe you know this, but maybe you forgot. The greatest chasm, the greatest difference that ever existed was between God and man. The separation between God and man, the perfection of God and the fallenness of man, nothing compares to that. I mean, as tough as it is for a man and a woman to get to, you know, to resolve, as hard as it is between a, a, a husband and a wife, a, a father and a daughter, a, a, a brother and a sister, you know what I mean? The, the greatest chasm, you know, slave and free, right? You know, one culture versus... The greatest chasm that, you know, creation and earth, the, the greatest chasm that ever existed, that the most broken relationship of all time was between God and man. So close yet so far. And if God can send a mediator, if God can send his only begotten son to bridge and restore that gap there's hope for everyone amen if god notwithstanding made a way through his son to reconcile all of humanity to himself listen listen there's hope there's hope Nothing is impossible, okay? Home, family, um, you know, loved ones. I love to believe, listen, like, I've been around the block, I've been around enough rodeos to know this. I absolutely believe that every relationship is reconcilable here on earth. I absolutely believe it. But I also know 
that even if it's not, that eternally one day it can and will be. Right? I mean, sometimes people pass away before you're able to reconcile those relationships. Right? I have hope and faith to believe that one day, you know, because if you separate this lifetime and all your eggs in this lifetime, well, that, that's a doozy. That's, that's, I, I, I don't know that I could make some of the judgments and calls that I've made. But if you, if you have the ability to see life eternally with an extension, Oh, there's all sorts of hope. That's why when we pray, I, I always pray, God, thank you that you have healed this person. I always pray that. And I pray it like without doubt, without second guessing. I, I, it doesn't matter to me if there's doctors in the house. <laughs> you know, I, I really pray it, you know, with all my heart. Thank you that you've already healed this person for eternity, for our salvation, Right? But God, I also believe you can heal them here now on earth as it is in heaven. Does that make sense? Um, and so whether that's physical, you know, cancer, disease, I pray in the name of Jesus, thank you for already healing, right? For all eternity, your work is done once and for all upon the cross. But I also pray now, Jesus, that you would bring healing here now, your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And, and, and I, pray, I can pray that for... <clears throat> for all aspects. Does that make sense? Okay, um, let's bow our heads. Let's have a worship come up. And um, <laughs> you can do all the lights, it should be okay. Sorry, I didn't read through all of 18 and 19. And I kind of got the context, the, the story's right. Um, I, I stand behind the narrative. Um, but in 19, in 19, um, so judgment comes, you know, no surprise, there's not 10. There's not 10 righteous, there's, there's not enough. So judgment's gonna come on Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and so God is gracious and says Lot and your family, Abraham goes down, risks himself, you know, says Lot, you got to get out of here and get your family, we got to go. Um, and, he, and he says, flee for your lives. Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. I just want to say there's refuge in the mountains. The mountains often refer to a stronghold, a safe place. And so this morning, I just want to invite you guys as we, as we worship, just to run to the mountains, right? Run to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, maker of heaven and earth. Right? Mountains will melt like wax in your presence. The only safe place, the only safe place is in the presence of God. Run to the mountains. Run to the refuge of His presence. He's the only safe place. He's the only place for preservation. He's the only place for second life.
Run to the Father. Run to the mountains. Thank you, Jesus, that in all the various places in our lives, no matter how good, no matter how bad, seemingly, no matter what the situation, there always seems to be a road. Somehow, we didn't notice it. But just like that, you know, right in that moment, there always seems to be a road, a path, <coughs> Lord, that leads to you, that leads to refuge in you. And so, Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you that you are the rock that was struck. You are the rock of our salvation that was broken on the cross for us. And through you come eternal and living waters. And so, Lord, we, we need that. We come to you this morning. We need a drink from your presence, God. We need a drink from your waters. Lord, let, let us be refreshed. Let us be reminded of how precious we are in your sight, of how loved we are in your sight. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.